0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak through it. And God, even now as we approach it, we pray that your spirit would come, that you would soften our hearts, God, that you would incline our minds and our thoughts towards you. God, as we uh, approach this text that calls uh, a a church to repentance, we pray that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear if you are calling us to that same sort of repentance. We pray these things in Christ's precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, I remember that day like it was yesterday. Uh, it was a somewhat overcast June afternoon. It seemed like the morning flew by, and all of a sudden, I found myself a little after three thirty, standing at the front of the church, waiting. My palms were a little sweaty. I kept trying to remind myself to remind myself to bend my knees so that way I didn't faint. As friends. As family members, as future family members began walking down the aisle, and I not so patiently was waiting for the main event. And then finally at the back of the sanctuary, I saw her. The most beautiful woman I had ever seen, dressed in white. And as she began walking down the aisle, our eyes locked on each other. It it was like there was no one else in the entire room. I just remember being filled with joy in that moment. Maybe you have similar memories of joy of your wedding day. You look back on that day and you remember well the table decorations, the bridal party, the food, if you were actually able to eat any of it. It's a day of joy that you look back on fondly. But what if the day after you were married, your spouse approached you and said, You know, this is great. I love you, but I think that we should still see other people. How would you respond in that moment? Would you respond with anger? This is someone that had just committed themselves to you, and now they were saying that they still wanted to see other people. Maybe you would respond with hurt, that someone that you had trusted, that you had covenanted yourself to, was now saying, I want to see other people at the same time. In a way... That's what's happening in the church in Thyatira. See, in, in Scripture, uh, the New Testament especially portrays the, bride of, uh, the church as the bride of Christ. As this bride that has covenanted herself to Jesus. And in the midst of this relationship, God remains faithful. And yet so often the church wanders, the church strays to the feet of of other lovers looking for satisfaction and in a way that's that's what this letter to the church in Thyatira is About If you were here with us last week, we began looking uh, at some of the letters to the churches in Revelation. Uh, We're just spending three short weeks looking at these letters. And these three letters that we're looking at are particularly important for us today. Uh, I'm so excited to look at our passage this morning. If you weren't here with us last week, we looked at the church in Pergamum. And we saw, uh, really, that the church in Pergamum is is very similar to what we're going to see today in the church in Thyatira. In the church in Pergamum, there was a lot of good stuff going for it. They were faithful to God. They remained faithful to the call of the gospel. Even in the midst of suffering, even when that suffering led to death, they remained faithful, uncompromising in their faith. And yet there were some in that church body, in order to avoid suffering, began to compromise, began to look for ways to get around the suffering that they were faced and Jesus calls them to repentance and, and really says, you know, gospel faithfulness, remaining faithful to the call of the gospel is going to cost you a lot, but it is nothing compared to the call of go- or it is nothing compared to the cost of gospel compromise. And so Christ calls his church in Pergamum to repent. This morning, As I mentioned, there's a lot of similarities between the church in Pergamum and the church in Thyatira. There's also a lot of differences. I mentioned kind of what the gist of the problem was in Thyatira that we're going to look at. And it really boils down to this. The people of Thyatira were committing spiritual adultery. They were breaking their covenant commitment to God. They were still worshiping Christ. But at the same time, they desire to worship other gods, to run to other gods at the same time. And really what the problem in this church boils down to is this. Jesus' response is really not all that unreasonable. Like any husband, he desires and expects his bride to remain faithful to him. That's really what this text boils down to. God desires that his church would remain faithful to him. Those are Christ's expectations for the church in Thyatira thousands of years ago. They're also the same expectations that Christ has for us as a church today. To remain faithful to him. To not chase after other gods. To remain faithful to the call of the gospel. To remain pure in our worship. That's really what this text explains and looks at this morning. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And as we explore this letter, we're going to really follow the same structure that we did last week. If you were here with us, we looked at first a commendation in this letter. Second, we looked at a confrontation. And then finally, we looked at a call to action. So that's going to be the structure of the way we look at this letter. We look at this call to remain faithful to the gospel this morning. So first... Christ commends his church for maturing and growing in their faith. Take a look at Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love, your, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Christ here, it begins writing to the church in Thyatira, commending them for their faithfulness to the gospel, commending them for being a healthy church. Now, we don't really know all that much about Thyatira uh, because Thyatira, honestly, in the first century was relatively unimportant. And so there's not a lot of writing about it. But we do know a couple of things that are important for us to understand as we explore this passage today. First of all, Thyatira was located about halfway between Pergamum, which we looked at last week, and between Sardis, which we'll look at next week. It's located on one of the main roads of the Roman Empire. And as being on one of these main roads of the Roman Empire, it first was originally built as a buffer city. In other words, it was built because Pergamum, was the capital of Asia Minor at that time. And they wanted to create some sort of defense against invading armies. And so the easiest way for them to slow down invading armies was to create another city that would get invaded before they did. So just imagine yourself living in Thyatira, knowing full well that the only reason your city exists is to slow down invading armies. That's the context of this city's uh, purpose in the centuries leading up to the first century after after the roman empire uh, conquered this area it, it no longer was needed as a uh, buffer city and so it began to take on a new role it began to be a center of trade and a center of commerce in the first century. It doesn't reach its height until about 100 or 200 years after this letter is written, but it is increasingly growing during this time. As it is becoming more and more a center of trade in the first century, you can begin to see that it was very important to have a good job. It was very important to make money in Thyatira. It wasn't a... It wasn't an important city. It wasn't a capital city. And so they sought their purpose and their role and their worth in being a center of commerce. Now, because it was a center of commerce, it was best known for the textile industry. If you look at Acts chapter 16, where, uh, where Paul is in Philippi, he meets uh, Lydia of Thyatira. And Lydia of Thyatira is someone who sells purple goods. Uh, She sells clothes, basically. And and so that's one of the most important things about Thyatira. It was a place where they could get really deep purples, really deep reds that no one else in the Roman Empire could there in their clothing dyeing activity. So, very important textile industry there. But probably more important for our Context of this letter today, it was also a center of bronze working in the first century and Notice how Jesus describes himself here in the beginning of this letter. He describes himself as one whose feet are like burnished bronze. His feet are like one who, who, who's, uh, his feet are like one who are like burnished bronze. I, I think this is really important for us because it, it shows us a little about who Jesus is. It shows us a little about. Jesus' relationship to this church. See, Jesus isn't writing this letter as someone who is distant, someone who is far off and just coming to check up on this church. He writes this one as one who is intimately familiar with this church, one who knows that there are some people in this church body who formerly were bronze workers. He knows that there are some people in this church who still desire to work with bronze. He walks among this church. He dwells among them. He lives among them. That's a word of encouragement for this church. And honestly, the same thing is true for us today. Christ dwells among us because we are his people. Christ is not a distant God just coming to check up on us every Sunday, but rather he is a God who dwells among us, who lives among us, and deeply cares for us. Notice what else this letter describes when it comes to to Jesus. It mentions that Jesus is the son of God who has eyes like flames of fire. What does that mean? Well, in the first century, Thyatira was also known as a center of the worship of the god Apollo. Apollo, in Greek mythology, was known as the son of Zeus, also known as the son of God. He was the god of the stars, the god of light, the god of the sun. And I just love Jesus' words here because they're dripping with illusion-breaking reality. Saying, you know, in a place where everyone worships Apollo, the one who claims that he is the Son of God, I am the Son of God. When people say that Apollo is the one who holds the stars in his hands, I am the one who holds the stars in their hands. I am the source of light I am the true God, not Apollo, look no further than me. Jesus's words right here at the beginning are reminding this church just of who he is in the midst of their context and in the midst of the temptation to worship other gods. So that's a little bit about Thyatira. I mentioned that this church is a healthy church. In the midst of this uh, emphasis on commerce and in the midst of this emphasis on the worship of Apollo, this church is a healthy church. Notice what Jesus commends them for. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. This is what Christ is commending them for. They are known for their love. The church in Thyatira was not just a place where they said they loved one another, but it was a place where loving one another was actually done. Not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of every week. It wasn't just a place where if you were a visitor, you would be welcomed and then ignored, but rather it was a place where people would desire to get to know you, would welcome you into their homes. This is the church in Thyatira. Not only that, but they believed What they said that they believed. They believed that Christ was the son of God. They believed that he was the savior for their sins. Not just in words, but actually in their heart. Not only that, but they were known in their church community for service. And they were known outside of their church walls for serving the community. In the midst of difficult times, they were a place where they would endure they would continue to hold fast to the truths of the gospel. Thyatira is a very healthy church. Not only that, but this passage right here at the end of verse 19 says us that they were continuing to grow as a church in their spirituality. Notice what Jesus says. He says, your latter works exceed the first This was not a church that was just resting on their past accomplishments. This was a church that was continuing to seek after God, continuing to desire to love one another and to love God more, desiring to deepen their faith, desiring to serve more effectively in their community, desiring to hold fast to the gospel even more with each and every day. Jesus says, I see that. I see that you are a church that continues to grow in your faith. And as you look at this letter in the context of of the rest of the letters uh, of Revelation, you see that Thyatira, in this regard, is the exact opposite of the church in Ephesus. In in Revelation chapter 2, the very beginning of of chapter 2, Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus. And what we see in the church in Ephesus is they are a church that is resting on their past accomplishments, they are resting on what they have done for God, for how they have served God in the past. It's not all that unlikely that Ephesus, being a, a megachurch, a center of Christianity in Asia Minor, actually planted the church in Thyatira. What Jesus is saying to the church in Thyatira is that don't be like Ephesus. I, I thank you i am thankful for the fact that you rem- you remain steadfast you continue to desire to seek after me and just this morning as we continue in this passage i just want to pause and wrestle with a question would we as a church but also we as individuals would we be a better fit in ephesus Or would we be a better fit in Thyatira? Are we people who can look back and say, you know, today I love God more than I did a year ago at this time? Are we people who continue to desire to know God more? Or are we resting on our laurels? Are we saying, you know, I've done a lot for God in the past. It's okay for me to just coast right now for a while. The words of Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 and 19 encourage us to be like the church in Thyatira, to look at them as an example, to continue to grow in our faith. Thyatira, for all intents and purposes, here looks like a very healthy church, a church that we would desire to be a part of, a church that we would want to emulate. But we also see that that's not the whole story. As we continue looking at this chapter, at this passage, we see that there are some significant problems in this church. And that's what Jesus addresses next, picking up in verse 20. He says this, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Right after commending this church for their growing faith, their vibrant spirituality, Jesus confronts them about the problems that we're facing. And they had a lot going right here in Thyatira, but there was a significant problem in their midst. They were tolerating infidelity to Christ in their midst. Apparently, there was some woman who was in the church in Thyatira who was encouraging people to worship other gods was encouraging people to worship gods like Apollo. And for some reason, the church wasn't really doing anything about it. Now, we don't really know why the church wasn't responding to this woman. It could be because they weren't mature enough yet. The church hadn't reached a level of discernment where they would understand that these things that she was saying were not right. It could be that they just didn't really see that it was a big deal. They, they didn't see that it was their concern. They were more focused on church unity, more focused on reaching out into their community than they were about keeping the church pure. They began to see Jezebel, as this woman is described, as just crazy Jeze, who, yeah, she says some pretty weird things, but it's not all that important for us to address. They could have been ignoring her because they were just afraid of this situation. They were timid and trying to approach her. They didn't know how to respond to her. And maybe secretly, they desired that the things she was saying were right. We don't know why the church doesn't respond and doesn't confront this woman. But we do know that Christ is not pleased with their lack of confrontation, with their, with their tolerance of this woman. So what do we know about this woman and what she was teaching? Well, the the fact that she's called Jezebel tells us quite a bit. Uh, This wasn't her actual name. This is a reference to the woman Jezebel from the Old Testament. Christ is referring to this Old Testament figure named Jezebel and saying that this woman in your midst is exactly like the woman Jezebel in the Old Testament. So who was Jezebel in the Old Testament? Well, we know she was uh, the daughter of a pagan king and she married the king of Israel named Ahab. And as a pagan, the daughter of a pagan king, when she married Ahab, she brought idolatry. She brought the worship of the Baals into their midst. Up until this point in the nation of, of Israel, they had not worshiped any other gods but Yahweh. Now, they had created statues To Yahweh, they had said, You know, this is the God who led us out of Egypt. And God obviously wasn't pleased. He's kind of offended by the fact that they were creating statues and saying that this was his likeness. But up till this point, they hadn't just absolutely began worshiping other gods. It's not until Jezebel comes that they began worshiping other gods. I don't want to overstate the case, but Jezebel was the worst thing. To happen to the nation of Israel. It wasn't, they never recovered from Jezebel's idolatry, Jezebel's wickedness, Jezebel's lust for power in their midst. And what Christ is saying here is that just like Jezebel brought in the worship of false gods into your midst, so also this woman is bringing the worship of false gods into your midst. That's a significant charge for them. And in all likelihood, the church didn't realize how bad things were in their midst. They didn't realize how bad things were with this woman's teaching. They were blind to the seriousness of her teaching. Remember, last week we talked about Revelation not being a book primarily about predicting the future, but giving us the right glasses. The right lens to interpret the current events. This is what apocalyptic literature does for us. And by calling this woman Jezebel, Jesus is giving them the right glasses to be able to understand the wickedness of this woman, to understand what things look like from his perspective. Jesus calls her Jezebel, and they begin to realize just how deep of an issue this problem is, just how bad things are in their midst. So what is this woman doing? She's clearly uh, bringing in the worship of other gods, but how is she doing that? Well, remember, we mentioned that Thyatira was a growing center of trade. It was a growing center of commerce in Asia Minor at that time. And there were a lot of trade guilds that were extremely popular in Thyatira at that time. These were groups of people that would work in the same industry, and it was virtually impossible for you to hold a stable job without being a part of the trade guilds. It was virtually impossible because the trade guilds would begin to blackball you, blacklist you, if you weren't a part of their guild. People wouldn't want to buy you because there was no one to buy from you because there was no... uh, government or, or no group that would back up the quality of your goods, that you weren't going to be able to learn the trade secrets. You wouldn't have an in in that culture. In, in a very real sense, this wasn't just an issue of affluence, but it was very truly an issue of survival to be a part of these trade guilds. So when you hear that, begin to say, okay, so, so what's the big deal? Just join a trade guild. Well, here's the kicker. Each of these trade guilds was dedicated to a different God. Each of these trade guilds credited those gods with their success. To be a part of a trade guild meant that you would actually have to worship that God. As Christians, you couldn't do that. As Christians, you weren't able to worship other gods. And as you weren't able to worship other gods, that meant you wouldn't be able to be a part of these trade guilds. And not being a part of these trade guilds meant that it was very, very difficult for you to earn a living. Can you see the difficult situation that the Christians of Thyatira found themselves in? They were stuck in a place where, really, they were wrestling through, do we remain faithful to God? Or do we provide for our families? Do we remain faithful to God and and leave behind these trade guilds? Or do we sacrifice those things so that way we can provide for our families? So we can survive here in Thyatira. And apparently this woman Jezebel, this is where she steps in and says, It's no big deal. It's okay for us to be a part of these trade guilds. And continue to worship God alone. It's not a big deal in God's eyes to be a part of these trade guilds. If you notice, the text calls her says she calls herself a prophetess. Later on, we'll see that she begins proclaiming the the deep things of Satan. but, But she was most likely saying that these are deep things. This is mature teaching that comes directly from God. That it is okay for us to be a part of these guilds. It is okay for us to continue to worship God and yet still make a living for ourselves. And obviously, the the people in the church, this is what they wanted to hear. This is what they were worried about. They weren't sure that they could remain faithful to God and still be a part of these guilds. And so this is good news for them. And so Jezebel becomes a leader in the church. People are encouraged by what she's saying. She begins to gather quite a bit of a following around her because she says, well, you gotta eat, right? After all, it's no big deal to God. It's not really worshiping other gods to be a part of these guilds. It's okay in God's eyes. There's just one problem. It wasn't okay in God's eyes. It was a big deal to God. Notice what language Jesus uses here as he's addressing this woman. He says that she is committing sexual immorality. It's a gravity of what she is doing. She's committing sexual immorality. Now, in all likelihood, this isn't a reference to real sexual immorality. This is more just a a metaphor of the seriousness of what she is doing, uh, of spiritual adultery, of of cheating on God with other gods. If we look at the context of the book of Revelation, oftentimes this term, sexual sexual immorality, is used in reference to a, a denial, a betrayal of one's commitment to God. And I think that's what's happening here. That in their worship of other gods they were sacrificing their commitment to god alone just because of what this woman says and so jesus calls jezebel to repent He calls her to repent of the things that she is saying. And this is just a sign of the grace of God here. Even as she is ravaging his church, he still gives her the opportunity to repent. It's just a sign of how good and gracious God is to give her a a chance to repent of her ways. But of course, she doesn't take that chance. She continues to lead people astray. And so Jesus decides to take matters into his own hands. He decides that he is going to take this issue and solve it. The church in Thyatira may be tolerating her, but he will not. That's why he says that she will end up on a sickbed. Now, this sickbed uh, word is really a Hebrew idiom to refer to uh, plague as a sign of the judgment that one receives from God, saying that God will bring judgment upon her because of her teaching. Not only that, but those who follow her those who have listened to her teaching they also will suffer a great deal i just think that it's interesting that these people they decided to compromise their faith in god their compromise their soul commitment to god in order to avoid suffering in order to avoid hardship and yet the reality is god brings hardship upon them how often does that happen in our lives That we decide to ignore a call of the gospel, to make things easier for us, to to ignore or to avoid hardship. And yet hardship comes because of our avoidance, because of our compromise of gospel commitment. That's what Christ says will happen to those in Thyatira who have forsaken him. He leads them into hardship that they might repent. If they do not repent, if they remain steadfast, almost like her children, then they will die just like Jezebel. And that sounds pretty serious. It sounds like that's really hard to reconcile with a picture of a loving God. With a God who 1 John says is love. It might sound strange, but I think that this is a picture of God's love. God loves his church, God loves his bride so much that he doesn't want to see her defiled, he doesn't want to see her impure. To be taken advantage of. And so his love is righteous. His love is holy. His love is demanding. His love may cause us hardship. As he purifies. Sanctifies. Makes holy his bride. Several years ago, I heard the story of a pastor in the Australian Outback. It was his first church right after seminary. He was very excited to have the opportunity to share the gospel with these people, to lead them, to shepherd this flock. But as he got to this church, he realized that things weren't at all like he had hoped and like he had expected. He found that this church was filled with drunkards, with adulterers, with blasphemers, and so he began to pray. He began to pray that God would spark a revival in this church. He prayed, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he waited on God for months at a time. And then suddenly, one of the wicked people in his church died. He continued to pray, and another one died and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And then something miraculous happened. The revival that he had been praying for broke out. The people who were remaining saw what was happening to those who blasphemed God, either through word or through their actions, saw that they had died of their wickedness, and, yet th- and so they renewed their commitment to God. They renewed their desire to follow him. They repented of their spiritual adultery. And that's a, a really a story of what's happening here in Thyatira. God loves his church. And because he loves his church, he will not tolerate her being defiled. He will not tolerate spiritual adultery in the midst of his church. So you hear this. This is a story, it kind of sounds weird in Thyatira about eating meat to idols, about trade guilds, and saying, well, what does that look like today? After all, if I'm a part of a union at work, that, means that, that doesn't mean that I have to worship a false god. So, so what does this look like for me? heard a story the other day of a solid Christian who was a very successful salesman for a large company. And whenever this large company was trying to to get a big client, they would fly that client in. They would take them to the most expensive restaurant in town. They would get them as much to drink as they would desire. After that, they would take them to a strip club And after they were filled to the brim with carnal pleasures, they would push the sail. And this man was worried, was at a loss for words on what he should do as a Christian. Jezebel would respond, saying, it's okay. After all, you're not the one who is committing the sin. You got to work right. Jesus would say flee, flee. Of course, this doesn't just apply to work. It also applies to other areas of our lives where we desire to make compromises in order to make our lives a little bit easier for us. When we desire to fit in, when the call of the gospel is to stick out, to be set apart, this Could look like modesty when it comes to dressing, when the desire is to fit in, when Christ calls us to stick out with the way that we dress. An example from my own life I have a very strong urge, have for several years, to watch the TV show Game of Thrones. It sounds like a fascinating premise. Uh, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to. Medieval stuff with swords, with ancient kingdoms. uh, A lot of, of kingdoms fighting each other sounds like a great thing that I would love. And yet in good conscience, I cannot watch that because of the amount of wickedness that is found in that show. A desire is to fit in. My desire is to be able to have conversations with others as they talk about what happened last week on that show. And yet the call of the gospel tells us to stick out, to remain pure, to not be undefiled. This boils down to so many TV shows that are, that are out there today. Basically anything on HBO. Uh, the Americans, another fascinating premise for a TV show. House of Cards. You can keep going for things that, that we might desire. And yet the call of the gospel is to remain pure as a church. Another example, youth sports over Christian commitment. If you find yourself in a place where your commitment to God is being sacrificed because of your commitment to youth sports, ask yourself Am I committing spiritual adultery? Am I being at a place where I'm worshiping another God rather than God Himself? The call of Christianity, the call of the the letter to the church in Thyatira is to remain pure, to remain undefiled, to not worship other gods. Now, as you hear that, you might be saying, well, Jordan, that's legalism. That's legalism to say that you can't do that or or you can't live in, in such a way. One pastor puts it, if we were half as concerned with keeping the bride of Christ pure as we were with legalism, there would be no issue in the church. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. As Christians, there is nothing inherently wrong with looking good when you're dressing. There's nothing wrong with being good at your job, with watching TV, with liking sports and desiring that your kids be good at those sports. But when those things provoke the Lord to jealousy, we are committing spiritual infidelity. Ask yourself, Am I provoking the Lord to jealousy where my thoughts are, where my actions are, where my heart is, where my time is spent? Am I provoking the Lord to jealousy? There's a serious issue in the church in Thyatira, and so Christ calls them to repent. Christ calls them to seek out faithfulness. That's what we see here at the final section, picking up in verse 24. He says this. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden only hold fast what you have until I come the one who conquers the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ's call for his church is simple, to seek out faithfulness. For those of us who need to repent, for those of us who need to leave behind our past ways, then repent. Seek out faithfulness. Repent of our infidelity to Christ. For those of us who need to hold fast, Christ says, hold fast. Keep doing what you're doing. I love Christ's words here in verse 24. It's almost like he says, Thyatira, my beautiful church, I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of your love, of your faith, of your patience, of your service. Keep doing it. Keep growing in your love. Keep growing in your faith. Keep serving one another. Keep enduring in the midst of hardship. Hold fast to the calling that you have received. And if you do, if you hold fast, if you repent, if you seek out this faithfulness, you will receive authority in the kingdom to come. That's how he closes here. When he talks about this rod of iron that will break earthen pots, this is a a reference to the Old Testament, to one of the Psalms, Psalm 2, which is a Psalm that was written uh, about the Messiah, about the Savior of the people of God. And in this psalm, it tells us that the Messiah will receive authority over the nations. That the Messiah will receive authority over those who oppose him. And what Christ is saying here is that just as I, as the Messiah, have received authority, so also I will give it to you who remain faithful. So also I will give it to you, my governors. In the kingdom to come, the authority that my father has given to me, I will give to you. And then he also says this thing about a morning star. This is an interesting uh, picture here of this morning star. In in Roman culture, the morning star, uh, Venus, was looked at as a sign of the emperor's sovereignty as a sign of the emperor's victory. And so most of the Roman armies actually wore the sign of the morning star on their armor. And for the Jewish people, the morning star pointed to the Messiah. It was a way of looking forward to the Messiah, to the one who would come and save the people of God. And I think what Jesus is doing here is saying a little bit of both. He's saying that you will receive authority. You will be victorious. Just like the Romans would say. But it's only because of the Messiah. It is only because of the Savior. He was the one who brings victory. He is the one who will give you authority. If you hold fast. Church, the call of this letter to those in Thyatira is to hold fast. Just like any husband, Christ desires, Christ expects his bride to remain faithful to him. And that's our prayer this morning, that we also would be people who hold fast, that each of us would hold fast remain faithful to God. But another thing that this letter talks about is about faithfulness on a corporate level. Faithfulness as a church as a whole. If you notice Christ's number one confrontation to the letter or in this letter to the church in Thyatira is this, but this I have against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel Christ's number one concern with this church is that they tolerate this woman, that they tolerate this false teaching in their midst. What Christ is saying is that he desires every single person in his church to be faithful to him, and every one of us should have that same concern as well. Now, this isn't a a license to become the morality police. This isn't a license to begin uh, addressing every single person who you think is possibly sinning in our midst. Instead, it is a call to holiness for everyone in our midst. It is a call for each of us to spur one another on, for each of us to continue to love one another, for us to, if necessary, lovingly confront those who are being led into sin as we are molded into the image of Christ. Friends, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast in your worship of God. And as we close, it's just my prayer that we as a church would emulate what Jesus says in verse 19. That we would be a church that is known for our love. That we are a church known for our faith, for our service, and for our patient endurance. And more importantly, that we are known for those things in increasing measure. That we continue to grow in our faith, and our love, and our service, and our endurance in the gospel. And maybe for some of you this morning, you're saying, well, that's not really the case. You look back on your life and you say, you know, I'm just resting on where I once was with God. I'm resting on what I had once done with God. Maybe some of you this morning are in a place where you say, you know, I didn't even realize it, but I'm committing spiritual adultery. I'm not being faithful to the call of the gospel to remain faithful to God. Maybe some of you are confused this morning. You're not really sure if you're being unfaithful to God, but, but there's just a little bit of uneasiness in your life as you hear these words. Maybe you're someone who is holding fast, that someone who is growing in their love and faith and service and endurance. Whatever the case, the words to the church in Thyatira give us good news. It is good news that there is grace It is good news that there is forgiveness for us at the cross if we need to repent. And it is good news that the grace of Christ at the cross enables us to hold fast. Friends, let us be like the church of Thyatira, but only in verse 19. Let us be a church that holds fast and grows in their faith and increasing measure. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words to your church. And God, as you speak to them, we pray that you would come and speak to us. Even as you close this letter with the words, to him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, the areas of our lives that we need to repent, where we need to be confronted, and where we need to hold fast, God. Lord, I pray that we would be a church, not here, not just here in Spencer, but, but also in Spirit Lake, that grows in love and in faith and in service and in endurance. That we would be a church that is known in our community for good works. God, give us the strength to do so. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.